Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the COVID What Comes Next podcast with Dr. Ashish Jha, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health and a globally respected pandemic scientist and physician. Every week here, Dr. Jha will analyze events of the previous several days and offer his assessment and guidance for what lies ahead. I'm your host, G. Wayne Miller of the Providence Journal and the USA Today Network. Good morning, Ashish. How are you? Good morning, Wayne. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How'd you make out in the storm, our nor'easter? It was okay. We got, I don't know how much snow we got. I was out shoveling this morning and, and last night, So, uh, but now it's over, and thank goodness. So let's get to our questions regarding COVID. Um, had a number of people ask, and I, I myself am curious about, what is the current science on transmission of covid COVID on hard surfaces. Early on, that was thought to be, early on meaning like a year ago, thought to be a significant risk. Uh, where do we stand now on that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's um, get the bottom line is we don't think it's a much of a deal. I, we don't think surfaces are a major source of transmission. Uh, and I'd be very surprised if there was much transmission happening from surfaces at all. But I want to take just a minute to explain to people why we thought it was and what we have learned. So the reason we thought it was that we did some early studies um, in the very earliest days of the pandemic and found a good amount of virus in, on surfaces. And then we looked to see how long that those viral fragments were still around and it was around for a while. And then that got everybody worried that surfaces could be a major source of transmission. It turned out that much of the virus we were finding on surfaces were little fragments, not, not full viable virus. And it's, you know, if my, imagine if I cough or sneeze, it gets on a, on a surface, you're going to have little bits of viral fragments sitting around for days, but it's not going to infect anybody after a little bit. I mean, it can in the short run, like right away. Um, and you also have to have a certain amount of virus you have to take in. So long story short, surfaces are not a big deal. They're not zero, which is why we still think people should be washing their hands um, but things like wiping down groceries, you know, I used to worry about that last March or April. I don't think I've worried about it since then. What about mail? We, we get a lot of interest in, in mail coming. And what, what do you say about that? I would not be worried about mail. I don't worry about mail. You know, I guess, you know, the, some people bring up, well, what if the mailman coughs on the mail five seconds before he puts it in your mailbox? Uh, yeah, sure. Then pick it up and don't like lick your mail. But presumably you weren't doing that before the pandemic. <laughs> and, you know, like what I would do with mail is what I do with most things these days, which is I, if I bring in something from the outside, I'll put it down, I'll open it, but then I'll just wash my hands afterwards. Yeah. And so being a little more assiduous about hand washing. And, and finally, in this, uh, in this vein, what about takeout food? Takeout food has been demonstrated to be 
safe. I, I know the CDC uh, has it on their website. You obviously would agree with that. It's, it's I totally agree with that. We get takeout all the time, never do anything. I, again, I'm probably a little more careful about washing my hands after. Let's say I take all the packaging out. I unpack the takeout. I'll go wash my hands before. And I know, I think I used to do that before, but I'm not 100% sure. So I've become a bit more reliable of a hand washer. So the Providence Journal, USA Today Network, published a story Sunday about COVID long haulers. Uh, And I will tell you that looking at the numbers internally here at the Journal, we had a tremendous interest in that issue. So maybe you can just break that down for us. First of all, what is long COVID, the symptoms, prevalence, and, and all of that? Yeah. So prevalence, we're still sorting out. We don't know what proportion of people with COVID end up having long haul symptoms. And we obviously still don't know how long long hauling, long haulers, like how long their symptoms last. Those are the unknowns. But let's just talk about some of the things we do know. We know that there are a certain proportion of people who will continue to have symptoms for a very long period of time. What, I, what do I mean? Certainly many, many weeks, but often many, many months. And these symptoms can vary from fevers and fatigue to um, almost sort of autoimmune-like symptoms. Um, there's some pretty good studies that suggest maybe as, 20, as much as 25% of people who have recovered still feel off. They could be having headaches. They could be having extra fatigue uh, 90 days later. And so there is clearly a spectrum of people who recover and do, are totally back to baseline. But a large minority of people who three months later, six months later, are either having just, they're, they're not back to their baseline, they're not, and it could be a variety of symptoms, to a small minority who are actively really quite disabled uh, and can't get back to work, can't function normally. One of the many reasons that we think, well, let me just say one more thing. We think a lot of it is immune modulated. We don't think it's the virus hanging around their system anymore. It's the immune system's response that's really driving it. Uh, A lot of interest, obviously, in trying to find therapies for it. Uh, But the bottom line is we don't know why some people end up having these things and other people don't. And one more reason why we should never have been cavalier about letting people get infected, uh, because we didn't know how this was going to turn out. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, totally agree with that. Um, is there any evidence that it is more gen- gender-related, meaning I've seen some data that say women seem to be more prone to long-haul COVID? Yeah, you know, what's interesting about that, I have seen some data to, uh, to that effect as well. And I will say it may not be surprising uh, because autoimmune conditions tend to, be, tend to happen much more frequently in women rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, almost every autoimmune disease uh, tends to have a, a gender component for reasons I don't fully understand. Um, but so to the extent that we think long haul COVID is an autoimmune condition um, where the immune system is really kind of hyperactive and, and, and responding to the extent that that's what's going on, uh, one would not be surprised to see it more in women. So one last question before we get to two audience questions. Um, I was speaking to and wrote a story from uh, and about Dr. Leonard Murmel. He is an infectious disease specialist at uh, Rhode Island Hospital at Brown 
professor, and he published a letter to infection control and hospital epidemiology in which he cited an unnamed, quote, otherwise healthy adult who became reinfected six months after this person's initial bout with the disease. Do we know anything about reinfection? Yeah, we know a few things. Um, the bad news is reinfections happen. Uh, we now have many, many documented cases of reinfections across the world. Uh, true reinfections, people who had documented infections, recovered, reinfected with a slightly different strain of the virus. So we know it's not just the same old virus. Um, I, I, but the, that's the bad news, that it can happen. But the good news is it's incredibly uncommon. Uh, we don't know exactly how often it happens, but I would say it's like, you know, when you look at the 26 million Americans who've been infected with this virus, um, there's only a handful that have been reinfected. I mean, maybe the real number is higher because we're not looking carefully, but the bottom line is it's not a common uh, feature. Second is also not surprising. Almost no disease gives you lifelong, what we call sterilizing immunity, which is the kind of immunity where you can never get reinfected. A couple of diseases do, but most diseases don't do that. Um, so this is not surprising that it happens, but thank goodness it's pretty uncommon. So I've used the phrase that uh, this disease and understanding and science about it is in its infancy, meaning we're only a year on. There's still much to be learned. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable how much we have learned within a year, uh, really remarkable. Um, but there's a lot that we don't know. And of course, over time, we will learn about the longer term effects in a way that we just have not been able to figure out. So I'm pretty confident that we're going to learn a lot more over the upcoming months and years. But no doubt about it, Wayne, there's, a, there's still quite a bit of gap between what we know and what we wish we knew. So two audience questions. Someone found on the CDC website uh, dated December 29th, quote, information about the safety of mRNA COVID-19 vaccines for people who have weakened immune systems in this group is not yet available. And the person who sent this to us asked, when will data from this group be available and why has no one addressed the safety of the vaccine for the millions of people who have weakened immune systems? I don't know that that is necessarily a correct statement, but there you go. Yeah, you know, so depend. look, weakened immune systems vary quite a bit from people who have profound immunodeficiencies uh, to people who have very mild immunodeficiencies. Um, and I, I would say two things to this person and everybody who's out there listening. First is it almost surely matters what kind of immunodeficiency you have. And so you probably do need to be talking to your doctor about this. Uh, meaning it's hard to give generic advice given the breadth of immunodeficiency. Second, you know, a lot of vaccines are either killed viruses or weakened viruses um, that require a very robust immune system, not for that person not to get sick. That's not what the mRNA vaccines are. Therefore, I actually would in general feel much more confident about the safety of mRNA vaccines in people with weak immune systems. Uh, because it is unlikely to generate any kind of negative effect. Now, obviously, people with weak immune systems may not get as much of a benefit because you need your immunity to generate an immune response. These are conversations that you need to have with your, um, with, your, with your physician about the specific type of immunodeficiency you might have and how that's going to influence things. A lot of work being done to sort all this stuff out, but I'm pretty confident mRNA vaccines will end up being uh, useful for a lot of people who have immunodeficiencies. 
And our second and final question, should ibuprofen or Tylenol be avoided prior to receiving the COVID vaccination? And what about afterwards? That's a great question. Uh, you know, I've gotten one dose so far. I'm looking forward to my second. And I've had a few friends tell me that the second dose is where they get, uh, they have about 24 hours of feeling pretty wiped out and tired and, and even some low-grade fevers. You know, there is a theoretical argument against using ibuprofen and Tylenol beforehand uh, that you may somehow blunt the immune response. I, I'm pretty skeptical of that. That said, given that that's where the kind of recommendations are right now, I don't plan to take ibuprofen or Tylenol before my shot. But I think once you've had the shot, uh, if you feel lousy, getting taking Tylenol or ibuprofen is perfectly reasonable. And so once again, we'll remind our audience, if you have questions that you would like Dr. Ja to address, send them to gwmilleratprovidencejournal.com and write question for Dr. Ja in the subject field. Ashish, thank you. Have a good week. We'll see you in another week. I look forward to it, Wayne. Thanks so much for having me back. Talk soon. Mm-hmm.